Welcome back, State of Play, episode eight. For whatever reason, it seems like a million years ago since I did the last episode. Um, I don't really know what I'm <laughs> what I'm forgetting or what I'm missing, but it, om- om- it was only about a week ago I got a chance to talk to A.J. Uh, Cooper of Washington State uh, football and, and talk to him a little bit about his experience um, starting his coalition, uh, the Coaches Coalition for Progress, um, but then for whatever reason, it seems like just a week ago, I had my, my, my first episode. So uh, kind of what a weird, weird state of, uh, uh, the year we are in, but that's 2020 for you. Um, this week's episode, I'm excited to talk to Christian Babini. Christian, uh, played for us at Saginaw Valley, kind of noticed a common, uh, trend, at least with most of my initial, uh, um, guests uh, on the podcast so far. Uh, Christian was also a graduate assistant, um, for us after he finished up playing for a year and now he's uh, working living in southeast Michigan um, got a family of his own excited to kind of hear his perspective on how college athletics again being relatively recent player uh, I'm talking about you know Christian finished up on the 2013 team uh, talking about being a relatively recent player uh, and, but also still seeing how things have changed and then talking a little bit about his experience um, being a coach, uh, being a graduate assistant, and kind of how that influenced um, him today, and, and what 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 kind of message it has taught him. Um, so I'm excited. Christian's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, texting with him last night, he's talking about how nervous he is. I'm sure he's joking around, you know, as we all got a, a chance to know Christian. Um, very good person, but uh, he'll he'll make you laugh with the best of them. So excited to kind of talk to uh, Christian a little bit uh, later in this episode in this podcast. Um, I want to talk about coaches and kind of perception uh, on this in this episode for the first segment. Um, you know, I I sit around and I listen to national news media. I listen to local news media just to kind of get the state of how things are going um, with sports in general. I got a young family of my own. We're racing all over the place. Sometimes it's hard to sit down and watch, especially during the week. Um, Saturdays, I get a chance to watch college football or at least follow it, whether I'm, you know, taping a game or DVR in a game and then watch it. Um, a little bit later, I watched Texas Oklahoma this past week. Again, I didn't watch it live, but I watched it. Um, kind of, kind of, I was trailing by about an hour or two after me and the family did some things, and I watched the Notre Dame game. Um, so on Saturdays, I get a chance to watch college football. It's where my experience is what I really enjoy um, watching more than anything. On Sundays, um, I don't watch as much NFL football. Um, I'm just not used to doing that. As a college football coach, Sunday is really busy, and I live in Wisconsin now. So as a, a diehard Lions fan, it's hard for me to sit down and watch as many Packers games as I wish um, I would like, even though I have a couple good friends on the staff. Um, but the reality is we are in the uh, time frame where you're starting to see NFL head coaches get let go. Um, basketball just wrapped up. Um, congratulations to the Lakers on winning the title. Really a big congratulations to the Heat. Um, and as we kind of talk a little bit about coaches, what uh, what the coach, Coach Spolstra, has done down there in Miami, I think has been remarkable. That's kind of what I want to discuss a little bit on this first segment. But I don't watch a ton of other sports because they're during the week and by the time we sit down after the kids I'm so exhausted I'm lucky to make it 45 minutes before I'm sleeping so I don't haven't watched a lot of baseball haven't watched a lot of basketball I watched a little bit of hockey here and there as the uh, Stanley Cup was going on didn't even didn't even see the final game didn't see the uh, lightning uh, hoist the cup this year um, again without the Red Wings playing it's tough for me to get too excited but that's uh, that's just the, the the local Detroit fan in me um, but talking about coaches as you're starting to see coaches at the professional level start to get let go start to get uh, you know moved out of their positions I just saw 
uh, I believe today Atlanta um, let go of their coach and their general manager. Um, to me, talking about coaches and the perception is really important, especially when you bring it down to the lower levels. Um, in, the co in, in the professional ranks and the high college, you know, I'm talking about major FBS football, you know, major um, uh, Division One basketball. These coaches now are paid so much. The criticism, the hiring and firing is just part of it. Uh, just a couple, I think it was last week before the Oklahoma game, and something came across my Facebook page about, you know, the Texas fans not happy with Tom Herman. And, you know, four years ago when he got hired, he's the savior. You know, we're going to bring Texas back. And, you know, what Charlie Strong had done wasn't good enough. And now we're going to get back to being one of the elite teams in, in college football. Um, you see it all the time in basketball, you know, in major uh, college basketball. You know, teams not reaching the level that they want to reach with their fan base, with their alums, with their supporters, with the administration. Bring somebody else in, that's the answer. Um, to me, that starts a really bad trend um, as far as what the perception of coaches are. I'm the first one to say I think coaches sometimes get way too much criticism. If you've heard me on this podcast, I've talked about how I'm an advocate for coaches at any level. Okay, I think the professional ranks and the, and the coaches at the major colleges getting paid so much, you know, that criticism comes with it, comes with all that. You should be ready to take it, and all of them do. They do a fantastic job. But as you kind of start trickling down to those different levels where coaches aren't paid nearly as much, then you start talking about high school athletics, and you start talking about youth ath athletics. Um, to criticize coaches, I think, is, is really tough to do. You know, as a fan, that's going to be part of, part of the deal. That's uh, going to be part of it. You're a fan. You're, you're, it's okay for you to criticize people. But I think there's also another important aspect where I think sometimes coaches get too much credit too, okay? Uh, this is something I don't maybe think is talked about enough. You know, at, at the end of the day, who's ultimately playing uh, the sports? Who's ultimately playing on the court or on the field? Um, it's ultimately the players. Um, the coach's role and responsibility to help you succeed, to put you in position, that's really what it boils down to. You know, everyone wants to think, okay, well, this coach is such a great innovator. They do this and that. You know, at the professional ranks, let's just be honest. What does it come down to? It comes down to the draft. It comes down to free agency. How, in, in whatever way any sport acquires the talent, the players, um, and in, in, mo in all the professional leagues that I know of, it's all through drafting. I can't say I know a ton about um, Premier League soccer, how exactly they do it. I, I'm not sure if that's drafting or just contracts. I've always been a little confused there, so I'm not going to touch on international sports. But here, you know, in the sports that I'm familiar with in America, drafting. A player is eligible to be drafted into that league. A team gets them, and how that player develops will determine um, how, how good that franchise is. Let's just be honest. Um, there's so much money that's now invested into scouting. There's so much money that's invested into those departments because if you hit on the right player for 10, 12 years, you will be successful. Tom Brady, Patriots. If you miss on a player for 10, 12 years, maybe longer, you are going to struggle. Detroit Lions. Okay, love the Lions, but they have missed on a lot of draft picks. Not all of them. Not, not every pick has been a miss and not every pick has been a hit, but they've just from what I can see, they have missed on too many, and that's created this long trend. You shouldn't have this long of a trend. Um, and, and to me, that's that kind of plays into where coaches maybe get too much credit. You know, I sit here, and I don't know, again, I can't say I can speak a lot to NBA basketball or college basketball. It's not my expertise. I am an awful basketball player. I have zero ability whatsoever. I mean, I have a hard time even hitting the rim if I go shoot with my son at the, the, the park. But the reality is 
I know what team is going to be either up for the championship or in the um, finals and winning the finals almost every year, whatever team LeBron's on. And that's just a reality. It's not 100%, just like Michael Jordan wasn't 100% as far as winning every title. But you take LeBron and you put him anywhere, that team has got a chance. They need other pieces. You know, he didn't win without Anthony Davis and some of the players he had this year, so they had to retool their roster a little bit. But even when it was just him, they were at least in the mix. They were in the consideration because he's the best player. Uh, Frank Vogel, I can't say I know a ton about him as a coach, but the reality is now he's a good coach. Um, and that kind of segues into my little talk a little bit about what the Miami Heat done. That, that is what I don't think we focus on enough. You know, you see what Eric Spolstra did down at Miami when he had LeBron, when he had Dwayne Wade, when he had Chris Bosh, and they were obviously a force. Um, they were able to, you know, win multiple championships, play in multiple finals. Um, but now what he's taken, and I know Jimmy Butler's a good player. I don't follow him as closely as I maybe I do LeBron or some of these other players, but what he's been able to do with this Miami team without maybe one, without a collection of, you know, superstars, that is what should really be talked about. Um, I see this in the college ranks all the time. You know, at the end of the day, when you talk about college football, used college football or, you know, maybe even college basketball, who are the same 10 teams in the conversation in the title game year after year? Okay. In football, it's Alabama. Clemson has had a resurgence, but this is not the first time that Clemson has ever been in, in the national title consideration. There was a longer stretch uh, until Coach Sweeney came in and, and has obviously done a fantastic job. But this isn't the first time Clemson's ever you know, been in the national title conversation. For years in the 80s, they were one of the premier teams. And they've always been a strong, a strong team, strong program. You know, it's the same teams every year. If you really think about it, it's a collection of about 10, 11, 12 teams that are probably going to find their way into that Final Four, into the big bowl games. And that's how it's been forever. So if I am a coach, if I'm at one of those programs, I'm a premier coach. But if I'm not, I I, I, I don't fit into that rank. I don't understand that. Um, you know, I think about my time at North Dakota State. And the head coach at, at, at the time at North Dakota State was Craig Bull, who, in my opinion, started that. And no, no one's going to dispute this. He started what has been become, in my also in my opinion, one of the premier programs in the country, bar none, end of discussion, at any level. Okay. They don't operate 85 scholarships, so to compare them to an Alabama, it's not even realistic, okay? But what they're doing in their given level is unmatched by anybody. Maybe only Mount Union at the Division Three level is somebody you could talk about in comparison, the level of dominance. But Coach Bowl um, in 2009, 2010, uh, collective, I think in 2009, we won three games. Um, in 2010, we were able to get it turned around and, and we got into the playoffs and that's when the run started after that. In 2011, they started winning, I believe now it's nine out of the last uh, 10 national titles at the FCS level. Um, and now he's at Wyoming. And I think doing a fantastic job, but you know they haven't played in a major bowl. They haven't you know, been that, that, that team that kind of sneaks in and throws off the college football playoff. He's just as good of a coach now as he was at North Dakota State. I don't hear anybody criticizing Coach Bull. This isn't what this part of the topic is about. But I think it just goes to show, you know, when you're at a certain place and you're able to win at a certain level, it doesn't make you a better coach than you were when you weren't able to win. Um, it doesn't make you, you know, less of a coach when you struggled at a place because fit and timing and all those circumstances um, have so much to do with what it takes to win. And I think when you kind of drift that down into these smaller levels, and this is really where I, I think I um, would like to make the biggest impact. If anybody listens, I, I would love to have this impact um, go to youth sports. You know, number one, when you're talking about youth sports, anything from youth all the way up to high school football, 
if you're able to win and you're having a great season in whatever sport, volleyball, soccer, don't take it for granted and enjoy it because it is just hard to replicate in youth sports. Your coach has a lot to do with it, with what they have to do with their you know, leadership, how they run their program. But at the same time, on the flip side of that coin, to criticize youth sports and high school coaches when they're not winning or if they're not winning at a certain level is, is to me just insane. It's just, it's just crazy. And it's something that we need to really look at um, from a standpoint of in society, how we're viewing our youth, youth coaches, how we're viewing them both from a standpoint of criticism and from a standpoint of credit. Okay, what are you really viewing? What are you really valuing um, as a parent, as an administrator, maybe somebody on the board or in the booster club? What are you really valuing in your youth sports, in your younger student athletes? This is not University of Texas, you know, at small school in you know rural Wisconsin or Arkansas or Idaho. Okay, this is not the University of Michigan. Okay, um, this is not the New England Patriots or the Atlanta Falcons. You know, at the end of the day, really do your best to decide what you're valuing, what you want to look at. And to me, it should come down to one simple fact. Is that coach advocating for the student athletes in every way? Are they keeping them safe? Are they working hard to make sure that they are in position to win? And if they do, fantastic. If they're not, well, that's football or that's basketball or that's volleyball. That's sports just in general. Um, those are the things that I think at a youth sport all the way up to high school that we really need to do a better job in society as the parents, as the, you know, the fans, as the onlookers. I see a lot of it. It's really good, you know, um, as far as, you know, there's not as, it's not some out of control trend, but I do think it's something we have to look at. Are we letting these these higher level sports drift down into, into youth sports too much with how much we're criticizing the coach and how much we're crediting the coach with that you know kind of winning? If a coach at the high school level is able to take his program and win and succeed, and then it gives him an opportunity or her an opportunity to maybe move up to a different level or move to another school district and coach, that's their right, that they've done a good job. They have earned that opportunity. Um, but at the end of the day, what it really comes down to when you talk about credit with, with, with coaches, so much of it has to come to situation and the players that they have. So just kind of wrapping up a little bit as far as bringing it back around, you know, if you've got an ultra successful coach in your school district or in your school, and there's a lot of credit that should be thrown that way to everybody, you know, to everybody involved, they should be thrown towards the administrators, should be thrown towards the teachers that are putting those kids in position to do well academically, and then their coach can just coach. Um, so I think that's something that maybe isn't talked about enough. How much credit are these coaches getting at the pro level and the major college level? I think sometimes they get way too much, way too much, okay, credit. Criticism, they probably get enough. <laughs> that That's the part that's probably on par. But the credit for these major um college athletic coaches and for the professional coaches way too much credit the players are so much more involved in the in the professional ranks and the high level uh college athletic ranks and bringing it down to the youth level you know i, I don't i don't want to say at the youth level or at the high school level they're getting too much credit but a lot of it has to come down to timing a lot of it has to come down to circumstances and situations in your school district so make sure as a fan, as somebody that's just, you know, involved in sports and whatever way, maybe you're not coaching, maybe you're, you know, not super involved.
Be cautious how much credit and how much criticism you're getting and just enjoy the opportunity that you have to either watch or have a you know son or daughter go through your sport um, programs um, and just kind of learn from those experiences. That would be my biggest message when I sit back and watch. Again, we're, in the, we're gonna start getting in the middle of the season and watching these you know, professional coaches be let go, move, whether it be baseball, whether it be basketball, you know, football, it's already starting to happen. Um, that's part of the deal. It's what those coaches sign up for um, at, every, at every sport. You sign up to win. It's your job to win. At, and at the end of the day, if you don't have the control of how to win, you know, it's, it's not what professional sports are about. But don't let some of those things, both good and bad, drift down into our youth sports too much. That would be my biggest message to anybody. Um, so, again, I hope that's something that we can all kind of uh, – take into consideration as we move forward as we kind of get into this you know sports are starting to crank back up and it's fun and i enjoy watching it we got to be smart about how we um, stay safe stay healthy maybe not push too far and just kind of enjoy what we have and hope in time maybe next year we can get back onto a little bit more um, of what we're familiar with with fans and those things but you know i'm starting to see it i'm starting to see the criticism thrown out there at coaches um, and I'm starting to see too much credit being thrown at coach because you're having some leagues that are finishing up. Oh, the, you know, this coach did such a great job. Well, you know, I remember five or six years ago when this, you know, this coach was the reason they weren't winning. It's just funny how things work. Um, so kind of just something for everyone to think about and consider if, how you want to view you know, coaches and their perception uh, in the game of sports. Coming up, going to be a really fun interview with Christian. I'm excited to see uh, what he has going on and kind of how things are going for him. So looking forward to talking to Christian next. Yeah. Welcome back to State of Play. This is episode eight. I am excited to be joined by Christian Babini. I so eloquently know Christian as CJ. So if CJ, I call you CJ during this, which I just did, um, everybody know that that's Christian. I, I've known Christian. He played uh, at Saginaw Valley when I was a coach there. Um, we're both Cardinal alums, and then he was a graduate assistant for a season uh, before he entered the working world and is now back actually in his home state of Michigan. So Christian, CJ, welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you. How are things going in Southeast Michigan? Hey, Dan, longtime listener, first time caller. I'm, I'm so excited to be here today. Um, I just want to state that one, you're the only person that calls me CJ, but uh, I appreciate you for that. And two, just to put this on, on official record, um, you know, there was a 40 that occurred, a 40-yard dash in 2012, and I did beat you in the 40. I just so want to settle this, that right this now. This is a big debate that's gone on between me and you and many others. Conveniently, that video has been deleted. There was, just for the, the few listeners that I have, which is me, you, and I think um, maybe my brother and maybe your dad watch our <laughs> podcast. Um, so maybe we'll gain a few after this. But there was an actual 40. There was a race. There's a lot of speculation on who won that race. You were a senior at the prime of your career, and I was a old, washed-up football coach. And there's a lot of debate, a lot of speculation about that 40-yard dash. I, I don't want to get too far off topic here, but just, you know, so when so that race happened, um, I was 20-whatever. Um, I, I believe you were 28. Uh, I, I remember I was still in my 20s. I think that's I, true. So I only remember this. My year at Saginaw as a volunteer GA, um, I remember um, you told me you were 29, and I just thought, like, I, this is going to sound horrible. Just just delete this part. But I just remember thinking, like, man, he he seems, like, older than than Thanks. 29 really at the time. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Just follow me here. Follow me here. So I'm 29 now, and I'm walking walking the dog, and my hamstring's just throbbing. You know, I have a knee that's just swollen. It gets swollen when it rains. So I don't even uh, need a barometer. 
Yeah, well, well, thanks for reliving about uh, how you thought I was older when I was still in my 20s. I really appreciate that. The real question is, how long did you prepare that opening, you know, uh, first time, <laughs> long time listener, first time? How long did you prepare for this podcast to say that on the lead? Because that was fantastic. You did a great job. Was that about a 24-hour preparation? Uh, no, it just just came to mind, really. Uh, right. The second I watched episode one, uh, I, was, I was waiting for the call up and you know, it's a little longer than what I thought it was going to be, but you know, I'm happy to be here. And you know, I I I, I told my former offensive line coach, um, I don't want to name names, uh, Coach and Kona, that I, I don't have to be the best guest. I just have to be better than Brett and potentially um, any other uh, former GAs, whether it's your your Doug Wallace's, your Hoyles, your Winklers. Well, I'll tell you what, you're setting, a, you're setting a high bar for the former GAs. I still have a few more to go, um, but I'm excited to have you on. I'm going to try to somehow be serious through this. It's going to be extremely difficult, but you're doing a great job. We're excited to have you. Christian, I mean, we're kind of talking about it. I have to ask you a little bit about your experience playing as a student athlete at Saginaw Valley. Obviously, you played in, in, at high school and lower southeast Michigan, um, got a chance to play at Saginaw Valley. We had a really good run when you were there. In, in my opinion, I can make a case, and, and a lot of the guys that I played with would probably argue with me, that your run was one of the best in the history of Saginaw Valley. Uh, we won a lot of games. Um, you guys put us in a position uh, to be really good. But I want to talk a little bit about how that's prepared you for life as you know it now. Um, what kind of things did that teach you, playing for Coach Ancona, playing for Coach Collins, going through the rigors, the ups and downs of college football, the challenge, the grind that it is? Um, how did it prepare you for for life as it is today? Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, that, that's a great question. And, you know, when, when you look back at our time at SVSU, um, yeah, we had a lot of wins towards the end, junior and senior right. year. Um, but I mean, leading up to that was, was, was pretty rough. And, um, you know, I think that those years really taught me a lot about myself, the two transferable skills that I use today. Um, one, the ability to be coached and two, just how to handle and overcome adversity. Nice. Now you spent a year as a graduate assistant with us. Um, obviously being a coach is different than being a player. I think you learned that very quickly. You know, we put you through the grinder. You worked really hard. You did a great job. And then you entered the uh, the working world uh, with what you're doing today. How did that coaching experience prepare you for today's life that you live? I'm, I'm trying to be as serious as possible. But, you know, I, I did a job. I don't know if I would say I did a great job. I showed up every day and I tried my hardest. And, um, I mean, uh, you know, you know the, the players, uh, you know, they, they did all the work. Um, but, you know, I, I think really just spending time around like guys like you, um, Coach and Kona, uh, just the rest of the staff, just seeing like the, your approach to, you know, just handling the business and, um, you know, the work ethic it takes every day. Um, you know, the, for instance, the, the summer leading into the season, uh, you put me on the spot. I don't know if you remember, remember this in the data and video analysis room, um, <laughs> but you basically were like, all right, like, hey, today's day one, run the meeting. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking around thinking like me, <laughs> like, I'm trying to learn like routes and like learn coverages. I don't, I don't know any of that stuff. And I'm, and I'm got thrown in the coach of tight ends, but honestly, I, I think about that all the time, just your approach of, you know, you always have to be ready. And, um, so honestly, it's something, I think it gave me a complex where I'm, where I'm paranoid about that now, but honestly, it's just being overprepared and it just being ready to go in an instant, you know? 
I'm a big advocate for student athletes in college. Um, I run a business, me and you have talked about it, where I consult with people about playing, you know, college athletics, mostly football right now, because that's our expertise. It's what me and you know, it's what I know. Um, and I think the things that you learn as a student athlete in college or, or what you're talking about are just as important as what you learn in the classroom, not trying to take away what you learn in the classroom, but the life lessons that college athletics will, will teach you, I think, are just unbelievable and can really impact your life moving forward. You know, you, you used to say it at the same time, though, you were only a year out or two years out and you would talk about, you know, all these kids and it happens really quickly. Looking back at college athletes now from a distance, what do you think um, has changed already in your short time of, you know, being out of being a college athlete, being out of being a college coach? What, what have you seen from student athletes that's been different than what you thought going through it as a student athlete yourself? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, honestly, it's it, if if I were to pinpoint one thing, and I, I think you talked about it either last episode or, or the episode before of, of um, just like everything going on in society right now. I think we're seeing that because you know when when that, when I was in school, um, you know, Twitter and like Facebook and everything was around, but it wasn't as as normal as it is today. Right. And so I'm what I really appreciate is just the voice that these athletes have. Right. And you know they whether people are to agree with it or not, it's something that they care about. Um, and you know, um, just being able to put their voice out there, they understand right. like the influence and the reach that they have to fans. So I think in in that regard, the game. Um, has changed or as far as these athletes have changed in college. Um, but yeah, I mean, aside from that, I, I think I still could, uh, you know, give me two weeks and, and I'm, I'm ready to go. Give me a helmet. <laughs> Good for you. I got to ask, you know, I want to move on. You know, your dad was so involved in our program as far as being around. He'd come up to practices all the time. Um, everybody's personal life situation is different. You know, not everyone has a father in their life. Some do, some don't. Um, not everyone has a mother, not everyone has a brother that's in their life. But I want to talk about you specifically and the impact that your dad um, has had on you today. Um, again, seeing him at practice, he's always super involved with us coaches being really positive because um, we struggled a, a couple of those years like you talked about. Things weren't always perfect and then that year you were coaching, we, we didn't have a very good season record-wise. But that positivity and that reinforcement always helped me, uh, even as a coach, push through it. Can you talk a little bit about how the impact that your dad has had on your life as far as, again, where you are today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, that that might be an hour in itself of of me just uh, mumbling and stumbling through that. But just honestly, um, you know, he, you know, my my dad and, and both my parents really have been so supportive with with everything in my life. So, um, you know, as far as um, like when it came to school or athletics, you know, they never, um, you know, discouraged me from trying uh, like new things. Um, you know, in, in college though specifically. Um, you know, just, just my, my dad, for those that, that don't know, um, he, so he's, he's a guy that he, he played football his whole life as well. Um, got a shot with the NFL and the USFL back in the day, uh, before that, that was shut down, but, um, <laughs> he, he was there for the one of the two seasons. Right. Um, but honestly, uh, but, and then from there, um, you know, he, he's gone on to have a really successful career in medical sales, uh, which is in, in honestly, I, he, He's somebody that, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have somebody like that in my life. Um, you know, he, he's grown up, he was my role model um, or like a hero, you know, father figure, obviously. Um, but now today, you know, we have a relationship where, you know, we're best friends. I mean, I, I can still go to him for anything. 
you know, I, I'm in the medical sales field now, so it's so it's not just with football, uh, but you know, I wish I could take him on these sales calls with me. I know whenever he was at practice, I had my best practices, and I, I <laughs> would fight my roommates. So, I mean, <laughs> but oh, yeah, stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah I, so I, I always, I, I guess your, your dad was always so involved. I just I think it's really important to see the reflection. You know, and we all have a, a way to impact somebody. You know, we all have an opportunity to impact somebody that maybe is, you know, younger than us, whether it be our son or a, a niece or nephew or somebody that we can impact. And, and again, I think a lot of time coaches get referenced that. Let me kind of ask you something a little bit that maybe talks a little bit about, you know, you were a legacy college athlete from your dad. Your dad played a different school than you. But what would be one message you would share to young student athletes, not just college, but maybe high school kids in any sport that as they're going through the process, what they can take away from sports that maybe some of the things that you learned from your father or the good adult role models in your life? Um, you know, really, the only advice is just one, just never take anything for granted. Um, because, I, I, you know, I, I think that's something um that you know i i between um just I, some people say like the entitlement factor just you know going going and playing college football isn't something that you know you're given you have to earn that right, and right. so you know don't don't just think that that's just a guarantee right. um um honestly just just having the ability to like you know set goals for yourself and really like, don't, don't put a cap on, on what you think you can accomplish, you know, have unrealistic goals. I mean, right. when I was in school, um, I remember teachers, I mean, <laughs> I, I would have teachers tell me all the time, like, you're not, you're not going to play in college. Your, your grades aren't even good enough to go to college. And I mean, <laughs> there's a case to be made that <laughs> Saginaw was my only option. And, right. but, and, you know, um, and it's, you know, once you're there, the job's not done. I mean, right. for, for, in my experience, I mean, I almost flunked out after my first semester, but that's when I learned, you know, that you, you can't just think that it's going to be a wash. I mean, right. you have to work hard, you know, every day from day one until, until you graduate. Right. CJ, I mean, that message is awesome. I want to end on that because that's really what I think. Again, I, I've, I've had, you know, this is the eighth podcast. I've had seven other interviews. There's going to be a lot of debate about who's going to be the best. So you're going to be in the mix on that. But the message has been pretty consistent, CJ. I'll be honest with you. Everyone has said that, talking about working hard, don't take things for granted. And as much as I can get that message out there to anybody that'll listen, um, I think is really important. So with that being said, CJ, it's always fun talking to you. I always enjoy you know, our talks. This isn't the only time we communicate. We text all the time. And I love hearing kind of the stories about you and how things are going for you. So thanks for coming on. <laughs> Christian, thanks for joining us. That was a lot of fun. We wish you well. Um, stay safe, stay healthy. Tell the family we said hi, and we look forward to having you on another podcast in the future. Hey, it sounds great. Thank thanks, Christian. That was a lot of fun. Um, the biggest challenge of that uh, interview is just trying to keep it together. Um, oh, Christian is, is, is such a good person, um, good family man, um, and really an enjoyable person to be around. Um, the year he was coaching with us, we, we didn't win a lot of games, but we had a lot of laughs. Christian was a big part of that. So um, good message. You know, to, again, it just comes back to the same thing. I mentioned it in the interview. Um, if you listen to anybody's talk, the, the people that I interview, the guests that I have, um, on the podcast, they talk about the same message really over and over. Number one, stay the course, learn from your experiences, don't take anything for granted. 
Um, and I, I think those are just the most important things to take away from these podcasts. So, you know, again, I appreciate Christian being on. I called him CJ all those years and still do to this day. I think, and like he said, I'm the only one who calls him that. But CJ, we appreciate you being on. What a lot of fun that was. Um, I want to finish up this uh, segment, something that I talk about a lot with my brother who's a high school coach and, and other coaches. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the, some of the changes I see in, in, in football, um, in the game of football. This is going to be a little bit more football specific. Um, again, it's my it's my arena. It's what I'm familiar with. I've said that multiple times on this podcast, but I do want to talk a little bit about it. Um, yeah, this, is, this isn't exactly a controversial topic, but it's something that I've seen change in the game, and I do want to touch on it. Um, and it mostly comes down to just how I've been seeing the game change, what things we need to do to progress the game of football. On this podcast, I talk a lot about how much you can learn from the game, how much I enjoy it, how much it can impact youths um, in youth sports. So I don't want to see the game go away. And I, what I see, the changes being made are, are going to help that, are going to do that. Um, and I guess the biggest one that sticks out would always just be the way the game is officiated. Okay, when you talk a little bit about targeting, when you talk about how the quarterbacks um, are officiated, things like defensive pass interference. I, I'm, I'm going to go through a couple of those individually. I, I definitely want to talk about the targeting rule. And again, for anybody that's not a football fan, that if there's anybody that listens to this to hear my message, this segment probably isn't going to be um, the, the, the most connected for you. But I want to talk about football specific. But what I see from the game is them trying to make a difference for the longevity of the game, for the good of the game. You know, people talk in the NFL about the shield, okay, that Roger Goodell and everybody that's associated with the, you know, the, the, the NFL represents the shield, the brand. I think that's actually really smart. That's what we need. We need people thinking about the game. When I watch football games on Saturday or the few NFL games I watch, People always get oh so mad and so frustrated about some of the targeting that happens and the fact that they're throwing these flags on unnecessary roughness. Um, blindside hits are being officiated and flags are being thrown more than more than ever. And the number one message that always comes up, if you listen on social media, which I do, I'm on social media as much as I can argue or complain about it, I'm on it, is the old voice of back when I was playing. And it's just, it's got to stop. You know, you've got to change the game. The players are faster. They're tra training year-round. They're more physically um, prepared for the game. And it doesn't mean the injuries lessen. You know, when I was playing, you could do a crackback block on somebody, and it was a bunch of oohs and ahs, and you that was, like, cool. You know, but as we've learned the information we have about injuries, and as I get older and I'm a parent, and someday my, my, my son may or may not play football if he plays football, then I wouldn't want to see that. I wouldn't want to see him get hit when he wasn't prepared for it. If he's prepared for it, fine. And I think we, I think we have to adapt to that. You know, I've talked in a few previous episodes about adapting and not losing your fundamental um, attributes. You know, at the end of the day, and, and I'm going to talk about something specific with football and with targeting and how it's you know being officiated. You should be playing the ball anyways. It's a skill game. Okay, we've gotten so big. And listen, every once in a while, on a fourth and one or a short yardage situation or the last play of the game, things just get mashed up, and it's you know you just got to figure it out. That's kind of the toughness of life, and I'm fine with that too. But when people talk about hitting these receivers coming across the middle, the the, the blindside um, hit or block being you know oh man, how how are people supposed to play defense anymore? Go after the ball. If I when I was on offense as a coach, okay. My entire career, for the most part, was coaching offense. I wanted the ball back. Big hits, great, congratulations. 
that that's awesome. Maybe it sends a message, but you know, in the context of things, it really doesn't because that player may not run that route again. As an offensive coach, I never thought about that when I was calling plays. But what I did think about was, man, what, what I would give to get the ball back. So I really like what they're doing in the game. Um, I really am a big you know, advocate, a big proponent of them throwing the flags, penalizing people for that. You know, do, would I like to see those players be thrown out on the first hit? Mm, I don't know about that. I think we need to put it in the hands of the officials to officiate malice. You know, if it's malicious, if you, you know, you got to trust that humans can figure that out. But at the end of the day, if, if it's one of those scenarios where two guys are going down for the ball, it's close to the ground and it's helmet to helmet contact. You know, I don't know if that player needs to get thrown out of the game and lose participation because of that. Maybe if you're talking about two in a game, okay, we'll have that conversation. I know it gets a little gray about where the line then gets drawn, but I think what I see in the game as far as officiating those things is smart. It's right. You know, I think those are the things that we need to be doing in society. We need to be embracing when people are trying to make something better for the longevity, uh, for the betterment of a sport, for the betterment of a whole other generation being able to continue playing. The other part of it, you know, when you when you talk about the physicality in the game of football would always be the, oh, we're going to turn this into flag football. Well, I, I use this story to people all the time, okay? I played college football at Saginaw Valley. I, I feel like I had a good career. I, I made some great um, relationships. Um, we won a lot of games, not every, not, a, not enough. You know, we always could win more. Um, won a few championships, made it to the NCAA playoffs. I didn't start playing football, tackle. Actually, I didn't play any element of organized football until I was in seventh grade in what was then junior high. I guess you call it middle school now, whatever it may be termed. That was not the reason I didn't go to Michigan. Okay, and I think that message gets lost. You know, if your kid's playing flag football, boy, girl, doesn't matter, all the way up until fifth grade, that's fine. You'll learn how to tackle real quick. You'll learn how to defend yourself real quick. Or you won't, and maybe, maybe that sport's not for you, and that's fine too. But I think sometimes that message has got lost as far as what people are trying to do, and I'm talking about the highest level. They are trying to limit the injuries in the game. Okay, now, at the NFL level, it is to try to keep the best players out there because it's an entertainment business. They don't want to see the Tom Brady's and, you know, Dak Prescott just got hurt on a tackle. I, you know, I don't know if that looked malicious, but that's exactly what they're trying to get out of the game. Losing Dak Prescott to Dallas is a bad thing for Dallas and a bad thing for the game. Okay. I know it creates ratings on ESPN. So now they can talk about his contract, but him playing and having a lesser uh, talented player out there isn't helping the entertainment value. So from a professional standpoint, it all actually matches up very well. From a college standpoint, I think we absolutely should be, you know, pushing for not to take away the physicality in the game of football, but to push for defenseless players being protected. Okay, these are young student athletes that majority of them, even at the Alabamas and the Michigans and the Georgias of the world, are not all going to play in the NFL forever and be multimillionaires just from the sport. Okay, they need to be able to think and they need to be able to move around when they're 30 and 40 years. I am 100% in support of that. And then at the youth level, we need to be advocating at a higher level, the highest level possible for these types of things. So when you're at, I know there's not a lot of attendance at high school games right now, but even in the future as this progresses, if you're able to watch a game, if you're able to be one of the few parents or family members that's able to go to um, a high school game and watch someone play and you see some one of those penalties, Live with it. Move on with your life. It's okay. Young student athlete is protected. The next play, because somebody got called for what you know may hurt your team to lose the football game, it's fine. Okay, I'm a huge advocate for this, and I think this is something that we don't talk about enough is the other side of it. I love football. 
Okay, I love the physicality of the game of football. I played defensive line in college. We used to helmet to helmet every single play of my entire career. And if anybody's ever played offensive line like Christian did or defensive line, there's no way to take the, the head and the helmet out of the game of football between those two positions. Okay, but we need to be advocating to protect players from a standpoint of what we can do to help them. And I think the things that the NFL, major college football, the officiating is 100% right on board with what we should be doing. You, want, I'll give you two more recommendations that someone else should do. Number one, make everybody play on grass. I know financially, it's not a very good idea. Okay, people aren't gonna be able to rip up all those million dollars worth of turf. Slow the game down. Put people on old school grass like I used to play on. Slow the game down a half of a tenth of a 40. You're never going to notice a difference from an entertainment standpoint. People are going to be safer because the collisions won't be as fast and violent. It's sheer physics, okay? I'm not a genius, but I know that if you slow you know, mass down, the collisions aren't going to be as violent. That's possibly a good thing. Okay. And the second thing, I think we got to really look at strength and conditioning. Now, Coach Chris Winter was on here. The things that Chris teaches young student athletes in college about movement and ability, fantastic, top of the line. But strength coaches are also, and what, what gets kind of lost for strength coaches is injury prevention from the standpoint of soft tissue um, and, and just the, the different way that they train their student athletes. They don't have as many injuries. Okay. But I think we maybe need to look at strength conditioning as far as how much year-round training these young student-athletes need, okay? Um, I'm an advocate for not having it be year-round, okay? I didn't train year-round. I played multiple sports up until my senior year of high school. I played basketball. I was a soccer player for almost my my entire life, actually, until I, I graduated from high school. Um, I was an awful basketball player, um, but I, I tried, and I went out there, and I was part of the team. Um, I did baseball just a little bit when I was younger. I think we've got to really consider how much year-round training, that change could also slow the student-athletes down a little bit. And is it going to make that drastic of an impact? So my two biggest recommendations would be make football be back on grass again. Again, we're talking about football-specific. Put football on grass. I know it's a major financial investment that people have already made. You're going to talk about tearing it up, then having a maintenance crew to take care of it. But imagine all those late October, November, sloppy games in Midwest where you're slipping and falling as opposed to just smashing into each other nine weeks in a row from the high school standpoint at top speed because you've got great footing. I think it's something we should really consider moving forward. It's something that I would advocate. Um, so I, again, most of my messages on this are about what we can do to grow, what we can do to get better you know, as adults. And I talked to Christian a little bit about the impact of his you know, father and how that's impacted him. This is what we need to turn around and look at. How can we impact the next generation? Okay, um, as adult males who have played football, again, there's, there's some female uh, athletes out there playing football. The numbers aren't huge yet. Maybe in time it'll grow. Okay, but as the majority uh, in the game of football, we need to turn around and look at how are we going to take care of the next generation of, of football players. My son, do I want, do I want to watch my son get a crackback block when the ball's 20 yards ahead of him and some somebody you know, just sees him running, not paying attention? Okay, and then vice versa, do I want my son doing that to somebody else? The answer is no, okay, on either ends. I think those are things we've really got to look at that I know is tough to talk about because the old school, the, you know, the hardcore guys, when my, my day, well, you know, when you played with leather helmets, it was a different day, okay? When you played with the single bar face mask, it was a different day. It's, times are changing, you know, and we've got to move the game forward and realize it is a skill game. Okay, this is something I'm actually really passionate about. I don't know if anybody ever listens. I don't know if this message will go anywhere. I'm really passionate about this. Football is a skill game. OK, 
okay? And the things that I learned from it maybe put me in place where I am today. Don't know if this is a great place or not, probably not better or worse than anybody else, but they've put me in a position where I learned a lot of other values. I don't wanna see the game go away. And I think that's something we all have to consider um, when you watch the game of football. Next time you see a receiver that gets hit, ask yourself, why didn't that safety make a play on the ball? And if he did, if they were both jumping for the ball, you know what? Maybe he picks the ball off and maybe that helps your team win. Um, so instead of complaining, instead of arguing about the fact that why can't they call it or is it a, a, a gray play or not, embrace it. Embrace the fact that they're calling. Now, again, I would also advocate, I don't think players should be thrown out on the first offense. I mean, unless you see malice and you, unless you see a really violent play, that was maybe something we, we you know we shouldn't have in the in that specific game. I'm fine with that. Let the officials handle that. But as a you know a fan, as somebody watching, as as a possible family member, you know, talking a little bit about embracing those calls, I think it's something that we have to look at. And again, I was a you know I was a violator when I was playing. I would do the crackback block when somebody wasn't watching. I would duck my head and make tackles, all that stuff too. I was guilty when I was playing. Just because I did it doesn't mean I want to see it moving forward. I think that's something we really got to look at. And anybody that's, you know, really truly passionate about the game of football, I bet you would have the exact same, you know, thought process. I mean, you think about Pete Carroll, and you know, they were kind of one of the first ones to really talk about the hawk tackle and you know, getting the, you know, getting the helmet out of the tackle and using the shoulder more, um, and all those things too. So I think you see a lot of people that are innovators that aren't jeopardizing the game of football that realize that these changes are being made. So um, that was a fun episode. I mean, talking to Christian, I, it was just hard for me to even kind of keep it together. Christian's so much fun to talk to. Um, and again, episode eight, surprise, I, I just, it doesn't even feel like I've got that many in. So uh, with that being said, um, everyone else, thanks for watching. Uh, just as a quick reminder on Anchor, uh, as a podcast setting, uh, podcast episodes are on Anchor. Uh, listen to it on your car ride to and from work on Spotify, um, and then also right here on YouTube. So anyway, you watch it. I'd love to get some feedback. Um, subscribe if you're on YouTube. On Anchor, subscribe. Get a chance to listen and hear the message. Uh, I would welcome any feedback from anybody that listens. So uh, with that being said, enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe, stay healthy. Talk to you next time.